Glad to have all the kiddos in the room as well. I think we have even snacks in here somewhere. So Titus, if you get hungry, you need a carb load. You're looking a little, look like you need a little more turkey, all right? So, um, but yeah, if you have a Bible, you can actually open up to Colossians. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you've been with us, uh, we have been working through the Gospel of John, which is typically what we do. We've been there for like the last six months now. And, and that's kind of what we do at Mercy Hill is we'll pick a book of the Bible and we'll teach through it pretty slowly, verse by verse. That way we don't pick and choose the things from Scripture that we want to talk about, but we preach the whole counsel of God. Um, but this morning, we are actually going to be looking at what our kids were going to be studying in Mercy Hill Kids. And so before we get into that, I just want to take a second. If you, um, if you didn't know this, we have an incredible kids ministry here at Mercy Hill Church. They're amazing. In fact, yeah, we can clap for them. If you... If you serve in Mercy Hill Kids, would you go ahead and stand up for a second? Um, and yeah, we can give them a round of applause and just honor them. Um, thanks. Oh, Y'all can have a seat. I know you probably don't like standing. Thanks for doing that. Um, there's, a, there's a verse that comes from Psalm 78 where really the writer tells us to instruct our children and teach them the word of God. And the reason he gives, this is in verse 6 of Psalm 78, it says that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And I just want to take a moment and just say, guys, y'all are doing that um, so faithfully and we are so grateful for you. I, as a father, am so grateful for you and excited for uh, my daughter to get to learn from you guys just in, in, in what y'all are doing there and just being faithful and what you do matters. Um, and in teaching our children the word. So uh, thank you for your service there. And, and honestly, like that's the only area of our church that if you serve here, you have to miss the service here because we only have one service right now. And so I know that that means a lot and it takes a lot. So thank you so much. Um, what you do is super important. Now, I told you that we're going to be looking at what our kids have been going through this morning and stepping out of John. And so we're in Colossians 1. And they have been going through a curriculum called the Big Truth Sessions. And the unit that they've been covering is all about like the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, this week's unit was actually going to cap that off and, and talk about the importance of how Christ is our perfect king. And the passage that they're looking at is Colossians 1, which we just read. And so the question our text is going to be answering this morning is it a very like simple yet super profound question? And that is, who is Jesus? Um, everyone in here probably right now has an opinion about who Jesus is. You've all probably talked to people before, whether family members or coworkers who have an opinion about who Jesus is. But this morning, we are going to look at what God has to say about who Jesus is in his word. And so um, I think it's going to be super important. And so we're in Colossians 1. If you aren't there, go ahead and turn there now. And anytime, guys, you, you, you open up a book and you start reading in the middle of it, you need to know the context of what is going on. Otherwise, it's going to be really confusing and you'll get lost. Like, I grew up in Louisiana and our education system there is, like, pretty bad. And they even teach us to do this there, okay? So if it made it to Louisiana, it's probably super important. So here's what we need to know about Colossians to understand our text this morning is, is one, the Apostle Paul is the writer, Okay, and so the same guy who wrote most of the books in the New Testament, like Galatians, Ephesians, and Romans, he's writing to a church in the city of Colossae. And here's what was happening in that church. They were being bombarded by all these lies about who Jesus is. 
And so Paul wants it to be super clear. And up to this point in Colossians, up to verse 15, he's just been praising God for everything that he's done for Christians through the person of Jesus. And so the last thing we read before our text is in verse 13 and 14 where it says this. He, that's God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, that's Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul says that everyone who is a Christian was once in the kingdom of darkness and they've now been transferred into the kingdom of God's son, Jesus. And the reason is because of what Jesus has done. And now he's going to talk about who Jesus is, starting in verse 15. So here's our text. I'm going to read it one more time. Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent or supreme. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Okay, that's a lot of really big statements that Paul just made, like some massive statements about who Jesus is. And here's our first point this morning. Jesus is central in creation, and therefore he should be central in our lives. Jesus is central in creation, and therefore he should be central in our lives. Okay, so let's start by talking about how is Jesus central in creation. Paul starts in verse 15 by saying two quick statements that when I first read them, they're, they're kind of confusing. Maybe they, they, maybe they were to you. And that's the first one is he is the image of the invisible God. Okay, kind of strange, right? Like we don't use that language very often. What does that mean? Well, what we need to understand is that God is invisible, right? No one can see God. John 4, 24 tells us that God is spirit. We can't physically see him. And if you remember when we were in our study of John early on, John wrote this about God in verse 18 of chapter 1. He says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. But then he says this about Jesus. He has made him known. So when Paul says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, He's telling us that the very nature and character of God have been perfectly revealed to us in Jesus. So the best way to understand what God is like is to look at Jesus because Jesus is in fact God. He is fully God. And look at the next phrase he says in verse 15. He says, he is the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. He's going to repeat that word firstborn in verse 18 as well. Now, again, might be a little bit confusing at first. Wait, wait, if Jesus was the firstborn, like, does that mean he is created? Like, typically things that are born are created. Is that what Paul is getting at? It's actually not what Paul is saying here. Jesus doesn't have an origin story like you and I have. He has always existed. When Paul uses that word firstborn, what he's referring to is the word, like, rank or supremacy. Okay? Languages can be kind of weird sometimes. Like, like sometimes we'll use a word... Literally, and sometimes we'll take that same word and use it figuratively here, okay? So, for example, like growing up, uh, when I played sports, if someone was like, we'll just say, I wasn't even going to say this. If they were a dog at sports, right, that means they were, they were really good at sports, okay? Sometimes we'd call them a boss, man, that person's a boss, right? If they, 
We don't really use that one so much anymore. Sorry, but like if someone mosses someone, dude, what a boss. He did that. It doesn't mean that he has a bunch of employees working underneath him uh, of a company that he owns. No, it means that he's really good at sports or whatever. So we do the same thing that the Bible does sometimes. And so when it uses the, fir- the word firstborn, sometimes scripture will, won't take that word and use it literally, but will use it figuratively. And an example of that is with King David. Um, in Psalm 89, it says this about him. This is God speaking. He says, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Okay. Well, what do we know about David? Was he the literal firstborn child of Jesse? No, he was actually the youngest. And was he Israel's first king? No, Saul was. Okay. But if you look at Israel's history, David was definitely the greatest king that they had. A man after God's own heart. Is how the Bible talks about King David. And so in the same way, that's how Paul is using the word firstborn here. Okay, And anytime you're confused in, in Scripture as you're reading it and you're like, hey, like, what is this saying? The best way to interpret Scripture, guys, is by using other Scripture. Okay, And so if we, if we just think about John, how many times Jesus claimed that he was God. Like This is, this is something that isn't ambiguous. Like Jesus said, before Abraham is, I am. Like he's always existed. Remember in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in verse 14 of chapter 1, how the word became flesh. Like this isn't something that the Bible has, has left ambiguous or unclear. No, Jesus has always is, existed and he is God, God incarnate. And so why is this important? Why am I taking time to unpack this? Because who we understand Jesus to be has major implications on our lives. Major implications. And Paul wants us to see that Jesus wasn't created. Now, he's eternal. He ranks above all creation. And the reason he ranks above all creation is because he is, in fact, the creator of all things. Look at verse 16. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and for him. Okay, so just think about that statement we just read for a second. Like, it's stuff like this that I think is really easy for a familiar passage of scripture for us to just look at something like this and just kind of move on. But like, think about everything that exists, the world we live in, time, space, matter, the atmosphere, galaxies, angels, heavens, earth, like our body, everything that is in existence exists because Jesus he just spoke it into existence. And I don't know about you, but I, man, I can be so quick to just get so anxious and worried about little things in life that are so minuscule to God. And I lose perspective of how powerful he is. Like Jesus literally spoke our world into existence and there is nothing that has been made that wasn't made by him. And it's not that he just stopped at creation. Look at what Paul says in verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Right? That not only is Jesus the creator of everything that exists, but he's also the sustainer. That he holds everything together. And apart from his sustaining activity, like we would all die. Like that is a really weighty, incredible thought. And meanwhile, do you know what we do? We spend a third of our lives, some of us more than a third just asleep, unconscious, just mouth breathing, just like not doing anything. 
to contribute to us living, yet Jesus is in control of everything. Like, you've ever learned in, like, science, like, if the, if the earth was, like, one degree closer to the sun, you know, just, like, I don't know how much more it is. I just remember them talking about this, and maybe this isn't even true, but just how we would, like, burn up. And then if we were a little bit further away from the sun, we'd be living in Antarctica. Like, it'd be, like we'd be frozen. Like, but yet, God positioned us exactly where he wants us. And the reason we are alive and breathing right now is because he is sustaining the universe. He is so powerful. It's like Jesus is, is a super glue that just keeps everything from falling apart. He holds it all together. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from just these two, like, simple ideas, but yet they're super profound. And that Jesus is the creator and both the sustainer. The fact that he's the creator of everything shows his power, his majesty, that he is king. Everything was created by him, through him, and for him. But the fact that he's the sustainer shows that he didn't just create the world. It's all right, good luck. Like in spite of us and all of our sinfulness, he's still intimately and deeply involved and he cares about us. It reminds me of what, what uh, 1 Peter 5 says where he says to cast your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. The fact that Jesus is sustaining everything shows us that he cares for us. And it's pretty incredible. And so what Paul is saying, what he's getting at, is that none of us can overestimate Jesus. Like, you can't overestimate him. Like, no matter what your idea or anything you say, or your thoughts about who Jesus is, they're too small. Right, there's been a lot of argument about who Jesus is, and people have, have posed different questions, like, is he just a good prophet? Is he just a good rabbi or teacher? No, no, no. He is the point of your entire Bible. It is all about him. He is almighty God. And because Jesus is central in all creation, he should be central in our lives. That's where he deserves to be. He should be our central focus, which means Jesus should impact the decisions we make. He should impact the way that we treat our parents. He should impact the way that we parent our children. He should impact the way that we schedule our time. He should impact the way that we talk. He should impact the way that we live. Why? Because what did he just say in verse 16? Everything that has been made has been made by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. And so our response should be to, in return, worship him and him alone. But there's more. Okay, that's the first idea. Here's, here's the last idea Paul wants us to see in this text. Not only is Jesus central in creation, but he's central in our reconciliation. Look at verse 18. It says, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Okay, a lot of big words here. Here's what Paul wants us to see. Jesus is central in reconciliation. Therefore, we should only look to him. Jesus is central in reconciliation, therefore we should only look to him. Notice verse 18. Paul says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church, okay? Well, he's writing to the Colossians. He's not, he's not just talking about the church of Colossae. He's not just talking about Mercy Hill Church. When he says church here, or, or the head of the body, he's actually talking about all those 
who've been reconciled to Jesus. So what does it mean when we use that word reconciliation? What does Paul mean by that? Well, reconciliation occurs when there's two different parties or two different people that are at odds with one another and they come together in peace. They make amends, okay? So growing up, I had a younger brother named Ian and we fought a ton, okay? And we were always trying to rile up the other person. It was so bad that if we went to friends' houses, my mom wouldn't let both of us go. She would just send one of us because she knew we would fight a ton there and she didn't want to put that on another parent, okay? Needless to say, my parents were always trying to get us to reconcile with one another, to offer forgiveness to one another and to make amends and to love each other, okay? So that we'd be at peace. That's what it means to be reconciled. You were once at odds, but now you're at peace, God is communicating to us in this text that all of us begin as his enemies. Our choices to sin against him deeply offend him. But there is good news. That is why Jesus came in order to reconcile us to God, to make peace between God and us. So if you're a Christian in the room, understand that like you have a relationship to God that is different than the rest of the world who is not a Christian. You're no longer an enemy of God, but you are now a son or daughter of God. You are no longer a slave to sin, but you're now a slave to righteousness. You are no longer a citizen of earth. You're no longer under the domain of darkness, but you're now under the domain of Jesus. You're in his kingdom, a part of the family of God. And all that is because of what he has done. Like there are only two types of people in the world biblically. Right? You're either dead in your sins or you're alive in Christ either not a Christian or you are. You either don't have the Holy Spirit or you do have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you as a down payment of our inheritance. You either are not reconciled to God and you're an enemy or you are. There's only two types of people. And listen, our greatest need in all of life, every person's greatest need, is to be reconciled to God. And maybe, like, you've grown up in church your whole life or maybe this is your first time and you've missed like how that is made possible. Paul's about to make that really clear. And so I just want to explain that and then we're going to close. We're just going to keep this brief. But if you've missed what I've said, like lock in here because this is the most important thing you could ever understand. When Adam, the first human that God created, the head of the human race, when he sinned against God and fell, the entire human race fell with him. Which means all of us are born with a sinful nature. It doesn't matter who you are. We are all sinful. If you're Mother Teresa, if you're Joe Burrow, if you're me, if you're you, even my cute little eight month in the back who's making a lot of racket, even Ernie, all of us are sinful. Don't laugh at that. <laughs> We're all sinful. This is our identity from birth. A famous pastor who passed away a few years named R.C. Sproul, he said this, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. In other words, that it is our sinful nature that fuels our sinful action. And what makes our sin such a big deal, guys, is that it is first and foremost against a holy, eternal God. Like, we like to think that our sin is first and foremost against one another. Like if I steal $20 from, from Ernie, like I robbed Ernie and therefore I wronged Ernie and sinned against Ernie, which is true, but Ernie is made in the image of God. And God has called me to love Ernie, my neighbor, as I love myself. 
And in breaking that command, I've actually offended not just Ernie, but a holy, eternal God, which brings eternal consequences. Which is why Paul writes in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. The cost of our sin against an eternal God brings eternal consequences. And we can't do anything in and of ourselves to fix this problem. See, in order for us to be reconciled to God, you know what we need? Righteousness. Perfection. None of us have that. God is the only one who has that. What do we have? We have sin, which is what God hates in the test. And so here's how Paul says we can be reconciled. He's going to point out two things in these last two verses. The first is in 19. Here's what God has done. For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Right, that Jesus, the eternal son of God, left the glories of heaven, took on flesh, became a human. Right, not born in some royal, wealthy, powerful family. No, he was born in some nobody family in a feeding trough. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That Jesus became a man and lived a perfect, sinless life, earning righteousness, which is what we need. And then what did he do? Look at verse 20, right at the end. Jesus has made peace by the blood of his cross. Maybe underline that last phrase. Jesus has made peace by the blood of his cross. What is Paul referring to? It's exactly what our kids have been walking through in Mercy Hill Kids Study. The death and resurrection of Jesus. Why is that so important? Because what we deserve for our sin against a holy, perfect God is his eternal wrath. And here's the good news of the gospel. Is that Jesus willingly went to the cross for our behalf. And it's like all of our sins, our rap sheet, was given to him. And he served the punishment for it on the cross. And God the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus instead of you and I. So that in exchange, because Jesus beat death three days later and rose from the grave. For those who look to him and trust in him can have eternal life are no longer guilty, no longer under condemnation, but now in the family of God. And nothing can change that. Like, like, don't miss what the point of the entire Bible has been about. It is all about Jesus and what God has done to reconcile broken people like you and I to himself. A verse I've been memorizing that talks about this and, and how we receive this is in Romans 5, where Paul says, Since therefore we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like what maybe has been unclear for you your whole life, I pray becomes clear for you right now. You need peace with God. That is only possible through Jesus' work on the cross, and the way that we receive it is through faith through acknowledging that we're broken, that we're sick, that we can't do it on ourselves and that Jesus has done it. Repenting of your sins and trusting in him, looking to him. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you, like, look to Jesus, believe on him. Like, none of our opinions about eternal life matters at the end of the day because we're not God. He's given us his word. He's made it abundantly clear how we can have life. I encourage you, trust him, look to him. This is what God has revealed. So do you see that Jesus is our creator? That everything that exists 
was made by him, through him, and for him. And therefore, our response should be to make him central in our lives. And Christian, do you see what Jesus has done? That his body was ripped to shreds and his blood was spilt so that you and I could be forgiven and we could be at peace with God. Like, know who you are now. Cleansed, forgiven, no longer an enemy, a son or daughter. You're a citizen of heaven. The Holy Spirit now dwells in you. And all of it's because of Jesus. And so our response should be to live in light of that. And when that begins to happen, when that begins to take root in our heart, Christian, and we continue to believe that, it will change the world. Because we won't be people who are trying to perform and pretend we have it all together, but we'll be people who are dependent on Jesus and know that when he said it is finished, he meant it. The work's been done. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you sent Jesus to reconcile us to yourself. It truly is, in a way, such a simple message. But it should absolutely take our breath away. And if it isn't, Lord, right now, would you humble us? Would you help us to see our need for you, Jesus? that we can't do anything to earn right standing with you, but that you've done it all. Would you keep us dependent on you, Jesus? Would you help us to see that you are so, so powerful, that there's nothing that happens that is out of your control. And we can take great, great comfort in that because you're a God who loves us enough to lay down his life for us. Lord, there's nothing special about a single person here in this room. The only thing special about us is that we serve an incredibly extraordinary God. So would you continue to change us to make us more like Jesus and less like our old selves? Would we depend on you today, this week, the rest of our lives? We love you, God. We thank you for what you're doing in our church and in us individually. We ask you to have your way with us. We love you. Amen.